What is up, everybody? Welcome to week two. This is the DFS MVP podcast with your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always with my co-host, Mr. John Daigle, this is episode 223. Daigle, how'd that week one treat you? Not well for me personally, but at least I had the right pool of players that hopefully all the subs had successful weekends with. I did choose the pay down at running back strategy, which didn't hurt because Jonathan Taylor was so less rostered than Christian McCaffrey that it really didn't kill you. The issue is I chose the wrong players when I paid down. Well, maybe Elijah Mitchell was the right player, but alas, we'll never know. Yeah, we always have a really nice out, and we could just say, uh, yeah, the Chalk Donkeys won. We did everything right. Uh, back to the drawing board. But, I mean, that is kind of, uh, you know, it's it's tournaments where it's it's lots of valleys and then hopefully very, very big spikes. And, uh, you know, we had a week where usually in week one um, we're, we're least likely to see the Chalk hit, but those are the breaks. Uh, we're right back at it. Uh, we had a very good cash game week for everybody that does play cash. So that's exciting. Uh, if you guys looked at um, ownership projections, which is the basis of everything we do tournament wise, they were insanely accurate. I, I tweeted out, uh, you know, the correlation was like through the roof over 0.9 only missed like by, you know, uh, you know, five percentage points on, on like two guys. So that's always very encouraging that we're on the right track there. Cause it means we can have some, um, but we have very good information going into the week. For those of you that missed the first week that are longtime DFS MVP listeners, uh, switch it up a little bit. We're still giving you guys theory-based uh, podcast here, but we're doing it a little different, starting the podcast with um, the our big decision point of the week. So more of a, a weekly micro theory rather than the macro theory. If you guys want to catch up on some macro theory, go to the DFS Strategy Hub or check out the uh, theory playlist here on YouTube. But let's jump right into it, Daigle. Going into week two, what is your decision point this week? I can't decide if Daryl Henderson is a free square at 5,700 on DraftKings in particular, a site where we really don't have, in my opinion, much value at running back. And that salary initially entails value after he handled 78% of the team's running back touches, 18 to Cam Akers is three after he ran around on 78% of Stafford's dropbacks and recorded a 12% target share as an, Every down workhorse, essentially, you would think we should play him. But if we don't, if you don't think he's a free square, there are lots of ways to go. I am personally not going to be the one who chases Allen Robinson, but Cooper Cup, who you wouldn't think after yet again a 36% target share is contrarian. No one's going to get there because everyone wants to play Devontae Adams. And rightfully so. Adams is an amazing play, but no one's going to get to Cup. So Cup is naturally contrarian and leverage off Daryl Henderson. Tyler Higbee, my my word, uh, how amazing of a play he is after 93% routes run and 11 targets to boot on Stafford's drop back. So there are just so many different ways you could go if you don't think Henderson is the right play. And that's why I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, I have to decide if I'm going to bump up Henderson's ownership percentage yet. I, I originally projected him and, and DraftKings, but actually I, I think it's the same on both sides. Um, 15 to 20%. I think he'll come in at, at least at that ceiling of 20%. It's starting to seem like the industry might be a little bit higher than I thought. I, I initially kind of thought that maybe people will see this game total um, spread out the ownership, even though cup is very expensive, spread out the ownership between Stafford, Henderson, and Cup. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get to Cup, especially on DraftKings. I don't think he'll be single digits. I think he'll be like in that 11 to 13% range just because people are going to want to play him in Ram stacks. The only thing that I, I think might pull that back a little bit, we've already seen that total move a little bit. The Raiders are now the highest implied total on the slate. So by the time we get to Sunday, People might just be looking at the big double-digit point spread, looking at Henderson's workload last week. I, I think because we are going to have multiple very popular running backs, uh, Saquon and Daryl Henderson, I'm never going to play two of them together. And Saquon will get to Saquon, but but I think if I'm playing a Shark running back, it's going to be Barkley. I also have mild concerns about McVay saying 
he liked the way that Akers responded and that he is going to get him more into the fold into week two. Now, we can't always rely on that coach speak, but I, I do think that there are enough plays elsewhere and enough alternate lineup building that I, I think I'm probably going to be more inclined to favor the Rams passing attack because like you said, cup isn't going to be 20%. He's going to be sub 15%. I don't even know if, um, I like, I think he's single digits. Yeah. I mean, it's hard maybe to get to him the, on this slate. Yeah, I agree. I have him at, at 10 to 15%. So if he comes in at, you know, at nine and a half percent, we're, we're kind of in the range, but my point is we saw this last year where cup got super priced up when it happened early in the year, it's like, Oh, we can't pay for that. And then we went on a eight week run where you were paying 10 K for Cooper cup, no matter what. Right. So how, like I, I want to get out ahead of that when his ownership is, even if it's 10%, it's low for cup. So I, I think I'm going to err on the side of, of the passing game for the Rams this week. And there are lots of ways to get unique just outside of playing cup two instead of Henderson. Uh, we talked about, oh, yeah, we talked about Cup, but uh, you can add Stafford to it really if you want to. And that also is a way to combat those who play Allen Robinson. I thought everyone was going to try and be the person to pat themselves on the back and get ahead of an Allen Robinson ba bounce back, even though, again, I don't want to do that this week. I'll do that in week three, but against A.J. Terrell, uh, who you know, in week one played 80% of his routes from the boundary. Terrell, of course, who allowed a league low in yards per catch among all cornerbacks last year. Allen Robinson played 75% of his snaps from the boundary in week one. Not a matchup I want to go against at all. But also, if people do get popular in Robinson, Stafford is a way to get that touchdown equity without actually playing Robinson as well, just in case he does fail for like 30 yards and a touchdown. The issue, though, is that I don't know if people are going to play Robinson. I thought they would but now I'm not hearing much discussion on him. So that's something I'll also keep an eye on as we move closer to Sunday. I mean, we have a, a ceiling projection of 10% for Robinson on both sides, which if, if he gets close to his ceiling and cup gets close to his floor, floor projection and they're like, if they're one percentage point, apart in ownership like what's the point of playing robinson right like you want to play him when he's like when when cup is five times six times higher on them him not when they're basically the same right if you're getting that then you know just play cup and and you might maybe you don't even maybe you don't even double stafford if cup comes in that low which i suggest in my gpp article maybe you just go the quarterback running back wide receiver route and assume it goes through them um your decision point ties very neatly into my decision point, which I wrote up in the GPP keys to winning this week. And that is the late swap equity available on this slate. And this is something that we should be thinking about every single slate. If you're using late swap, you have an edge on your opponents, but um, even more so than last week, maybe as much as we'll see all year, the ownership, especially in the passing games is going to be extremely concentrated in three late games. Definitely going to be on the Raiders. You mentioned Carr and Devonte Adams. We'll probably see some trickle down to the other side, just because the Cardinals are still led by Kyler Murray because Dorch is going to get some uh, buzz and, and because their other weapons, Marquise Brown, Zachers is very good. We already talked about the Rams and then Broncos to a lesser extent, will get some, uh, some ownership just kind of across the board. Javante will probably be the chalk there, but I think all their players will get some ownership. So we're going to have a slate where after more than half of the games are done, we're gonna have all that information on the games before most of the popular plays even start the, Late swap options are infinite. It really comes down to your exact situation. The only like absolutes are if you are in a head-to-head -head matchup or if you're in first place or second place and, and fighting for that position, usually it's somewhere in between. The one thing that I can encourage GPP players to do is if you have big contrarian swings that you want to take, I, I, I think you should be a little bit more inclined to take them early because we get that information. If your big swings hit early, you should be more inclined to stick on these chalkier pieces like a Daryl Henderson. Whereas if you take a big swing and miss early on, now you're trailing the field. So even if you have a Henderson and he goes off, you're not going to catch the field because you, you whiffed early. So even if we don't know what we're doing with Henderson, we have the information on our score and we make the decision based on that. So I think it's a great slate um, to use late swap information.
The issue last week for me was that the chalk was everywhere. And that's why I struggled yeah. to dwindle down what I was doing because we knew everyone was on Eagles-Lions game, even though Amon Ross St. Brown still somehow came in at single digits. That blew my mind. Uh, Elijah Moore even got honed in on as the answer to run it in the Ravens stack. And then, of course, Michael Pittman, Saquon Barkley, and Aaron Jones. And so that's why I struggled last week. The good thing this week is that we pretty much know who the chalk is. It's back to your it's normal three or four players. We pivot off that. So I do think that makes it easier to know what your the stance you're going to take in that first slate of games. And then, like you said, to late swap two later on. Yeah, and you brought a uh, – I just kind of want to give an aside real quick on, on something that happened last week. And this is precisely why we project ownership in ranges and not absolutes. And, and I, I think sometimes people do get frustrated by it because you're not getting an exact ranking. But there is – especially over the last couple of years, because ownership has become so flat on both sides, but especially on, on DraftKings, when the ownership is that flat, everyone's that bunched up together. You get a lot of variance in ownership. And as your field shrinks, the variance in that ownership increases a lot. And what, where does that have impact where it has impact in your decisions based on ownership? And I found that in small fields last week and, and Jalen hurts didn't end up being the winning quarterback. You needed Mahomes, but hurts started balling and he was on pace for a double bonus. If the, if the running backs don't, um, you know, score three touchdowns, he might score 40 points. My point is I didn't play hurts in small field GPPs because I thought he was such a good value that in a small field ownership would condense on him. He would be like 25 to 30%. And I'm just not playing a 30% quarterback in a 120 man field in the tournament. I played the biggest tournament. He ended up being 16%. So I really was beating myself up because if I know I'm getting that kind of value at 16%, then I'm playing him. So it, it does take some feel. You do have to kind of figure out what your field is doing. I, I think it was maybe a week one situation where the field kind of leveled themselves and did what I did where they thought that too. You know, if, if 10 people in a 130 man field, think like I thought last week, that's how easy it could get flipped. Um, so if you, especially if you're playing smaller field stuff, be very cognizant of the uh, variance and ownership projections, not just uh, point projections. Completely agree. Uh, before we get into our plays this week, I want to give everybody a heads up about a brand new game that is available to you. It is no house advantage. They're changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. You could play in a pick'em contest versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, and earn points for correct picks. Climb the leaderboard and your shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills against the house and 20x your entry if you hit all of your picks correctly. You can also bet up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league. Sign up now with the promo code 444 at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app to get a first time deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You do not want to miss out on this at nohouseadvantage.com promo code four for four. All right, let's jump right into our plays this week. Uh, Daigle every single week. We, uh, we, we talk throughout the week, but we turn in our, um, articles to each other. I edit everything and I always have my finger crossed. And I say always two weeks into our, our partnership that we're going to be in lockstep. And we were very much in lockstep with our plays this week. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, who are you looking at as your value quarterback this week? When everyone looks at my article on the site too, that's up, you'll notice a small pool of players and that is growing. The more research I do, I'm usually a lot more locked in by Saturday morning. So I will add to it for sure. But my player pool this week is pretty small, which makes me feel good because that means I've eliminated a lot of situations that others are high on. And I have to take the long way out to explain this one because I don't want to play Kyler Murray 
unlike a lot of people. Uh, Raiders created the fourth highest pressure rate against a much stronger Chargers offensive line than the Cardinals. Kyler Murray last week, because of everyone being injured, was 4 of 13 for two yards per attempt under pressure. It's the same thing this week. So it's easy for me to fade Kyler Murray. It's easy for me to fade Lamar Jackson if we're going up at quarterback two. I'll get there at the end of the show. So knowing that and knowing that everyone is likely paying down ownership right now is honing in around Derek Carr, and rightfully so, that makes me think that naturally I can be contrarian by paying up for Russell Wilson, who is in an amazing spot. The Broncos did absolutely nothing wrong except fumble on the goal line twice. And so because they scored 16 points, that doesn't show them averaging 6.3 yards per play, reaching the red zone on 50% of their possessions, and also 45 yards per drive as an engine that could not be stopped. And now we get this bad, terrible Texan secondary that already allowed 350 yards to Matt Ryan in week one. Also for Russell Wilson, he is the contrarian piece needed because Alberto is checking in high for everyone on DraftKings in particular at only 3,700. Plus, with KJ Hamler being out, these wide receiver targets get concerted. Like the tree shrinks, and you could argue they're just going to play in more two wide receiver sets, and they're not taking Sutton or Judy off the field in two wide receiver sets. Those guys are going to play. And so overall, like Russell Wilson's the piece I think we can add in here and get the 300-yard bonus, get multiple touchdowns in this spot. I don't even need to run it back, honestly. I think the Broncos just shove it down their throat in a bounce-back game. Yeah, I, I do think you can run it back with Brandon Cooks just because mm-hmm. I think he's still a good value and, and garbage time, especially on DraftKings, is okay sure. for wide receivers. Do you have any concern about uh, the Texans not pushing the Broncos enough to rust it, for Russ to hit GPP value? So that's my thing is that I don't know if it matters. I, I don't know if they become a run-heavy team with a substantial lead. I still think they build a lead through Russell Wilson personally. And more importantly, this is a bet that this offense won't lead the league long-term, but also this week, again, an RB target rate, which they finished with the highest rate two running back targets in week one. So I, I still like to lean Russell Wilson with his receivers or Albert O, whatever two you want to drag along with him. Yeah, my my blanket answer to that, um, oh, I don't know, 90 90- five percent of the time is like are you worried about the other team pushing them or are you worried about like them sitting their starters in the fourth quarter if they get to the point where they're winning by that much like the chances of my offense getting where i wanted them to in three and a half quarters is probably damn good right like if they're scoring if they scored 45 points and then they're sitting their starters like they did what they needed to do and and you know touchdowns are are high variance so you know if 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 they accidentally go to running backs that sucks but uh if they're balling that good russ probably did fine i i think i don't know if you've looked at this too closely yet Russ makes a little more sense to me on FanDuel. 7,200 on DK seems kind of tough. Maybe that's because I'm forcing in like so much Cooper Cup. Um, so so I, I'm kind of more likely to pay up at, at receiver this week. Um, do you have a, a preference on the site or do you, you mentioned the 300-yard bonus. Do you think it's just a good play either way? I think you can get him and double stacks on DraftKings. Now it yeah. takes eating some chalk at particular positions, a cheap wide receiver, a cheap tight end, but even in taking on that percentage, like we're usually going for what? 90 to 110% cumulative ownership usually what we're trying to target for tournaments. Yeah, on draft. Even yep, eating yep. that like dude, Russell Wilson because he's tough to fit because people can't make sense of it, I think naturally it'd be 2%, something like that as a 350 yard four touchdown out at quarterback. You could argue yeah. he has the highest ceiling of any quarterback on this main slate. So, um, yeah, I think you can. I, I fit it with Cooper Cup and a couple other expensive receivers. I genuinely think you can fit it if you have also the fade on Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that's fair. And, and, and there are good reasons. Maybe we don't get it to this show. It may be a Sunday morning Discord conversation. There are good reasons to fade Jonathan Taylor in this slate. Uh, yeah, I mean, let, his, his 10k price tag is one, but yeah, we'll, well that's, that's to easy that. too. Yeah, that's the conversation <laughs> we'll definitely get to that on Discord. Um, and the great thing about Russ and the Broncos is he fits into that conversation that we mentioned with the late swap there in the late window. I don't, I believe they're 405, not 420. Oh no, they are 425. So you get maximum time, um, to figure that out at the very least between them and the Raiders LA and Atlanta is at 405. So there's a 20 minute gap there. Um, but he fits into that 
late swap window that we discussed. I want to talk about Trey Lance. Um, he is at the very least uh, one of the best floor values of the week at 7,500 Fanduel, 5,700 on DK, favored by eight and a half against Seattle with an implied point total climbing near 25. Uh, obviously, Seattle showed up against Russ last week at home. Um, I, I think they were fired up and, and played well over their head. I, I don't think they're as good as they looked on um, on Monday. I don't think the Niners are as bad as they looked on Sunday in a monsoon. We have Lance projected as a top two ceiling value on both FanDuel and DraftKings at four for four. He is our top overall quarterback value on DraftKings. Um, most of the one of the reasons I, I love paying down for Lance and I, I think he is kind of my lock in cash games and I'm willing to take the risk and not have to pay up is because most of the dual threat quarterbacks besides Lamar are off the slate. Josh Allen is playing in prime time. Uh, we already saw Mahomes and Justin Herbert play. Uh, Jalen Hurts is playing in prime time. So we don't have a lot of Konami code guys on the slate besides Lamar. And Lamar is 8,200 Fandle, 7,400 uh, on DraftKings. So you have to pay an uber premium for him. As Daigle pointed out in his article this week, Trey Lance in his three starts, 12 plus carries in every start. So you just aren't going to get a, a floor like that. Um, like I said, like I, I think you kind of give the Niners a mulligan for last week. Uh, there's a chance that the Niners get Kittle back, which would obviously be a boost to Trey Lance. Kittle did return to practice limited fashion on Friday. And going back to that Seattle win, I think it kind of overshadowed the shack that if we actually look at how they performed, they were 29th in pass EPA per play allowed in week one, but second in rush EPA per play allowed. So a very early indication that they could be a pass funnel defense. As I said, Trey Lance is a lock for me in cash games. He will almost certainly be my DraftKings cash game quarterback. You like him in GPPs though. Can you talk about his ceiling a little bit? Because I did not write up Lance as a GPP quarterback. I do like him, but I don't know what he's going to come in at, and that's what I'm waiting on. I th um, he'll he'll be single digits. Gosh, that's interesting. Then I mean, the, 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 here's the, the way I think about quarterbacks: is like you're either going to get like a unless you're going after like a one or two percent guy. The a quarterback has to be like. 17 to 20 percent to like be off the board and you're not really swinging your slate with your quarterback ownership right it's probably the pieces around him so like like i think i just because cars going to cars going to draw so much ownership we're probably going to see russ and stafford get a decent amount and we'll get a, a trickle effect to kyler murray so then it's just a math problem like there just isn't enough room for another double digit quarterback that's fair. Maybe on DraftKings. Maybe on DraftKings because he's so, so cheap. That's that's my issue, too, on DraftKings, yeah. that he's so cheap. I wonder if people just suck it up because they understand his ceiling. But maybe there's enough hate from week one and question marks with the offense that they do avoid it. Um, we'll get to receivers. I think there's a way you can get unique with him anyhow. I also think you could play him naked in tournaments, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I it generally it's just going to come down to what people are doing. Um, I, I'm going to wait and see on it. I, I'm torn on him, admittedly. Yeah, I, I I think he'll he'll come pretty comfortably in a single digit, even like comfortably if that's seven and a half to eight percent. Like I, I don't I don't think he sniffs ten percent. Maybe in some some super small field stuff. Let, let's head on over to running backs. Uh, a guy that performed surprisingly well, especially in the air last week, is a guy that you like in um in this week. And Antonio Gibson, as you wrote up tournament reviews, was actually in the. $5 Millie Maker winners lineup too. That wasn't contrarian. Like he played the chalk. Yeah, he just had yeah. a couple single digit pieces. Chalks, and of course, man. every tournament winner was just the Steelers defense at 0.3%, I think it was. Um, that's how you won tournaments last week. But overall, it's an amazing spot. Quietly, the Lions have cluster injuries on, on their offensive line with three starters potentially out in this game and limited in practice throughout the week. Plus, Jared Goff, as we expected, is not restoring the roar, finished with the lowest on-target rate at Sports Info Solutions in week one. We expect the same this week. And so we're, we're easily painting a great game script narrative for Antonio Gibson. Detroit's front seven carried over the same crap they were playing on defense last year and seeding 5.7 yards per carry to Philadelphia's running backs in week one. And we saw Antonio Gibson still be the game script guy, not the third down option, 
He will not play if commanders get behind. But that's the whole point is that I don't think they fall behind at all in this game with Detroit ailing. Gibson handled 82% of Washington's running back carries with those eight targets. I don't think we need those eight targets, even though they would be nice. I think he's an amazing play this week, Gibson. Yeah, this um, I'm actually just excited about this game in general. I, I think we, we talk about range of outcomes, especially in GPPs. We like wide range of outcomes, and then people get mad at me because I'll write up an offense, but then also suggest both defenses in the in the in a game. And that's actually what I did this week. I wrote up lines, Washington's game to target, but then I also wrote up both defenses to target because both quarterbacks are high variance. Both these teams, I think, are pretty high variance. I I think the most likely scenario is that this is a relatively relatively high scoring close game as the betting lines suggest. Um, but Antonio Gibson is going to get the work. I, I think you can pair him with Washington defense. If you don't believe that this is a game that you want to stack, if you don't trust these quarterbacks. So, I mean, Gibson is a fantastic value. I, you, you could easily make the argument and uh, not even the argument. Like he is in, in our cash game pool. Does he land in my cash game lineup? I'm not sure. I haven't built yet, but he's definitely there. A guy that is in all of my player pools, Saquon Barkley at 8,800 on FanDuel, 7,300 on DraftKings. And um, this is where we, this is kind of where we do have to really always look at ourselves in the mirror and make sure our motivations are pure because it it's a situation where we're not chasing points, right? We're chasing workload. We're chasing value. So even though Saquon did go bonkers last week and he was like one of the key pieces to winning tournaments and obviously you've had him in cash games, you smashed. He st- his his salary still didn't go up to a, a place where it's a hard decision. He's still priced behind the CMCs and the Jonathan Taylors. Um, his usage is so high, uh, whether you look at his snap percentage or his 36% target share is 24 touches. So yes, he went nuclear fantasy-wise, but it's not like he just broke off two long touchdown runs and there, there's reasons for concern. The the workload from old Saquon is there. He's still priced as the RB3 on FanDuel, RB4 on DraftKings. Last week, Carolina was 29th in rush EPA allowed per play. They allowed uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to combine for over 200 total yards and two touchdowns. The Giants are favored at home, which is obviously something that we always like for our running back. So Saquon's going to be the Chuck. Sometimes we play Chuck in tournaments. Sometimes we play, obviously, uh, a great cash game play, but uh, I, I'm going to be playing Saquon and trying to get my ownership down with contrarian pieces around him. But I think he's just a fantastic play in all formats. Um, He's just priced too low for what he's doing. It's a lot like Cooper cup last year where I was not a winning player in the first eight weeks because I kept fading Cooper cup when the answer was really his salary was just too low and Fandle did Barkley justice with that 8,800 yeah. price tag, as you mentioned, but 7,300 is offensive. Um, it's just wrong. Yep. And so, yes, yep. you just, if you literally play Barkley, there are also terrific game script narratives as well, because we know the giants are going to blitz Baker Mayfield's face off uh, wing Martindale highest rate of blitzes in the preseason, third highest rate in week one, they're going to come after Baker Mayfield. And we know that last year, Baker Mayfield was 31st among all quarterbacks completion rate against the blitz in week one. He was three for nine under pressure, 33% completion rate. So not only can you play Barkley with a favorable game script, in my opinion, the reason the defenses we've talked about so far, there's so many more, but commanders, Giants defenses to correlate with Barkley. Um, that's also not only unique correlation, but also side note, a reason you don't play Bengals defense in tournaments this week. Oh, yeah. We'll 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 definitely get to that. Um Saquon is it's it's one of these th- well, for one, if you're playing small field stuff, you're it's really gonna be, and I'm gonna have to talk to a lot of people about this how do we think he ends up in small field? If I think he ends up like 50, 60%, probably still play him. But in large field stuff, if he comes in where we have him projected, if he comes at 26, 27%, yes, he's still chalky, but you don't have this decision where like he's 45%. That's really hard decision to make when he's this good of a value. If he comes in at 26 or 27%, if he hits like like you're supposed to, 75% of the field still making the wrong decision. Um, I'm leaning into those situations every single time. And again, the chalk is only Barkley, Daryl Henderson to a lesser extent, and Raiders offense. Like I yeah, don't yeah. think we're going anywhere else, honestly. Even you mentioned Trey Lance at his cheap top price tag on DraftKings, single digits. So like that's it. So I know I can get contrarian around Barkley. I'm not worried about eating it. 
Yeah, I, I think with Swift uh, getting cleared, I, I believe he got full clearance today. I, I think he might get uh, pumped up a little bit, but that only helps our Antonio Gibson case if that ends up Let being him. true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like your wide receiver call, and I, I, I didn't write this dude up either, but uh, you and Tim Talmadge wrote him up, in it, and it's making me question myself because this actually might be one of the best plays on the slate. I hope George Kittle is active because if he isn't, I'm going to have to find a way to play Debo Samuel with Cooper Cup or Devontae Adams, and that makes it pricey. Because if George Kittle's out, I will argue Debo Samuel is the nuts, the best tournament play in week two by far. Um, He's not only going to carry single-digit ownership for sure, he's going to be less than 5% in my opinion, but we question the ambiguous target tree for the 49ers, and that's why we were pinning targets in the preseason for redraft leagues to Brandon Ayuk. But maybe the answer is also just Debo Samuel answers all the ambiguous questions. Not only a team high target share in week one, but he got to carry along those eight carries as Mm -hmm. well. And remember, when he was a wide back in the second half of the season, he averaged 4.9 targets per game. He wasn't getting the usage in the passing game that he got in week one. So if Kittle's out, Debo Samuel is such a smash. You can add him to Trey Lance if you want. You can play Debo Samuel's leverage off of Trey Lance. You can do so many things to still be unique. But either way, Debo Samuel, I will have in every single single entry lineup if Kittle's ruled out. Yeah, this is the these are the situations where even if you don't look at my ownership projections or ownership projections somewhere else, you could kind of intuitively figure out these um, salary range ownerships. So if you think about Debo, he's priced as the wide receiver five on Fandle, wide receiver four on DraftKings. Even though he's not in the same salary tier as Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams, he's still priced up. So just intuitively think if people pay up, what are they going to do? They're going to look at the list on DraftKings or FanDuel. That's how most people build. They just get on site and they see these players bunched together. Who are they going to click on? Cup and Devante or Debo? Like Debo has to be so much less, at least right now in week two, after what we saw in week one, he has to be priced so much further than for him to be significantly owned. So just from a, price perspective it's just almost impossible for him to get double digit ownership he probably comes in five percent or less like you said the interesting thing about the 49ers and debo is i i think a trey debo single makes sense like you said i think trey naked makes sense do you think debo is gets enough rushing work obviously he could steal a touchdown but does he like is there a chance he cripples jeff wilson's value i don't think so. Uh, so Jeff Wilson to me is a giant question mark anyways. We don't think he's going to get the passing game usage. Uh, and he basically has to score touchdowns to provide a value. Everyone has been citing the fact that in the interim last time Jeff Wilson was starter, he averaged 18 carries per game. But understand the context that this offense is totally different. Even, well, the changeover from Jimmy Garoppolo to a Russian quarterback, now stealing carries from the offense. But also, even when Elijah Mitchell left in week one, Trey Lance led the team the rest of the way with 11 carries. Then Wilson had 10. Then Debo got six. We know Debo Samuel also had two carries inside the 10-yard line. So I, I think De- Debo... Yeah, I guess to answer your question, Debo poaches from Jeff Wilson, certainly. Um, Jeff Wilson is just someone who's not even in my pool. Like, I'm just not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can sneak it by on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, just not even interested. I, I was going to, you you took the words out of my my mouth. I, I wrote up Jeff Wilson. I, I should probably clarify in the article that if we think about how he gets there, it's with multiple touchdowns. Like, he's just not going to rush for 120 yards and catch five balls, you know? And, and if you do that on DraftKings, you could get there with one touchdown in, in tournaments, at least. Um, and I think because of all the things we laid out, he's just not a cash game play. Tim Thomas wrote up Debo as a cash game play, and it kind of surprised me. But the more I think about it with how expensive Cup and Adams are, I think Debo actually makes a lot of sense uh, as a cash game play because you are saving so much. Um, he might not be popular, but but if he fits and you're trying to get like, um, you know, if you're trying to get uh, a couple running backs maybe that, that don't fit or you want to pay up a quarterback or something and you can't fit Cup or Adams, that, that does make sense. Um, I'm going to a guy that you got me on last week. He almost got us there. Unfortunately, Jalen Waddle got the long touchdown, but Tyreek Hill got all of the usage that you thought he would uh, ended up being a, a fantastic play. Like he, he, he was, he scored fine, just didn't go crazy, but still 
moderately priced $8,000 FanDuel isn't too cheap, but on DraftKings 7,100 is still very, very affordable against Baltimore. I usually trust the lines, the betting lines a little bit more than I trust my instinct, but I think this 44.5 over under is just off. Um, This is the only game with two teams that ranked in the top 10 and pass rate over expectation in week one. We saw both of them, not just pass a lot and pass well, but pass very explosively. Jalen Waddle had that long touchdown. We saw Tyreek getting balls um, uh, down the field. Lamar's three touchdowns averaged 33 yards um, in the air. So that's very exciting. Among the players with 20-plus routes run last week, Tyreek was fourth in targets per route run. That's tack on to a uh, number three target share on the week, 10th in air yard share on the week. Baltimore against the Jets were six worse in EPA per pass play allowed. Just to be clear, that is a efficiency stat. That's not a volume stat. So that has nothing to do with the Jets throwing 60 times. They just were, um, you know, they, they didn't ball out, but on a per play uh, basis, they were very efficient versus Baltimore. So I like Tyreek going against Baltimore this week. And I like this game in general. I'm actually differing on the opinion of this game. Um, I believe yeah. in the sinking total. And that's because we've already seen this game play out once last year. Yeah. And Josh Boyer sent a blitz on 60% of Lamar Jackson's dropbacks. And that's why he averaged five and a half yards per attempt of the game and six yards per attempt against the blitz. He's been historically poor when sending more than five at him. So overall, I, I do worry about this. Also, like Tyreek Hill, last week was the time to do it. And we did it at single digits. I think he's going to come in around 15, 18%. And so if that's off, sure. But I don't think that's something I'll be on in the small field anyways at that ownership. I'm going to have to look. No, I'm going to have to look. And I could at, I could have um, that Reek yeah, off. You know, you know what? I have, now that I look, I have Reek at that 13 to 15% range. So yeah, okay. he, he won't be. Yeah, that, so that, that's, a, that's a fair read. That's fair, and that's low, and that's a little lower than I'm saying. So I could be off, uh, and I, I'm trying to project for Sunday morning what's going to happen overboard. But maybe he does come in underweight since it's kind of hard to fit him. I think it depends um, if people decide they want to play Lamar. Then that could steam up Tyreek as a bring back. Um, I think I might have Lamar over projected in ownership right now. So um, make sure you check the. Saturday ownership adjustments. Um, hopefully they were decent enough for everybody that played Thursday to Monday. If you're still playing a Thursday to Monday, you are an absolute madman. Um, go back to that Raiders game. Who do you like as a pass catcher there? Whether you play Carr as arguably the highest rostered quarterback on Sunday, whether you play Devontae Adams, the highest rostered wide receiver on Sunday, you got to get Hunter Renfro in with Carr, or you got to get Hunter Renfro as your leverage off of Adams. The Cardinals in week one against the Chiefs seeded 175 receiving yards and two touchdowns to the slot. That, of course, where Renfro will be, as we know, 93% of his routes in week one, a pure slot receiver. But more importantly, this is a bet, and it could be the wrong bet, but it's a bet that Devontae Adams' 46% target share sinks just a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's yeah. get down to 38% and get Renfro some more targets after he had a 16% target share. So I don't know how I'm playing the Raiders offense just yet. I know I want a piece of it. Either way, though, I'm fine with Hunter Renfro as a standalone option as the unique person that we were adding to our Jalen Hurt stats a la Devonta Smith, for instance. But at least we know Renfro is much more reliable than Devonta Smith. So he has a... He has a floor that won't fail you, in my opinion, but I also think he has a great ceiling in this game, and that's what I'm chasing. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm definitely attacking this game, looking for ways to be unique. Are you more likely to double car and use Renfro as a way to bring down the, the average ownership of your Raider stack, or are you more likely to use some kind of double stack like a Renfro and a Waller to just completely fade Adams' high ownership? I would still go Adams and Renfro. Uh, if I play Carr, I'm definitely double stacking him, and I'm definitely playing Renfro as one of mine, knowing he's going to come in less rostered than both Adams and, and Waller. So that's our unique option. That's how I'm doing it. Um, I just haven't decided yet if I'm going Renfro standalone against Adams, and that's another way I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think the the decision when and last week I, I I don't know if I made an error or if I just didn't have enough information yet, but I think when thinking about these high ownership 
pass catchers and thinking about how to whether to completely leverage off of them or to use their teammates to um to lower the ownership i think we have to think about what type of player we're getting leverage off of so in a situation like a cupper or Devontae adams it probably makes a lot more sense to to leverage uh with to, to have a low ownership teammate and still roster them because it's just going to be very hard for that pass game to go nuclear with them not going off as well whereas if you are in a situation where you have a sometimes let's we'll have a random super popular wide receiver um, just because of salary, like you get an injury and then a, a $4,500 receiver is the chalk. I think those situations, it makes way more sense to completely leverage off of them because their offense can still do good without them because they aren't the Devontes or, or the cup. So I, I think that's kind of been a leak in my game. And I agree with you that if I am playing like a Renfro, it's with, Adams not to um, leverage off of him. So that's that's definitely a good call. We didn't talk about this in the running back section, but I'm also why I'm not sure just yet, because I also think like Miles Sanders last week, Miles Sanders was great. He had 19 DraftKings points. Um, I think Jacobs is a good answer too, uh, especially now that we got Amir Abdullah out of the game. Yeah, yeah. you're the second person I've heard say that. Yeah, I think I, I mean I I may not get there, but he's also on DraftKings in particular, only a hundred more than Daryl Henderson. He's not gonna get played. He's gonna go completely overlooked. Oh man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Discord. Sunday morning. See you there. Uh my value, other value wide receiver is Jerry Judy, 6,300 Fandle, 5,600 DraftKings. Uh, you already talked about Russell Wilson. You talked about how and one thing I love is looking for concentrated passing games. I, I think that that is going to happen that the the targets do end up probably concentrating more towards the wide receivers. Again, as you pointed out in your article, uh, the Texans allowed the second most total yards to opposing wide receivers last week. Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton had the same target share in week one, uh, but Sutton is $500 more on FanDuel, $600 more on DraftKings. I actually wrote up Sutton as my preferred tournament play because of uh, he, he did collect a, a ton of air yards and and Russ is great with the deep ball. But if we're talking about value, um, if, we're, if we're talking about saving salary, Judy is going to get just as much volume for a discounted price. So at least in cash games, I prefer him to Sutton. He is a uh, of all wide receivers under 7,000 on FanDuel, top two value on 444 of all wide receivers, sub $6,000 on DraftKings, top two value on 444. Um, I do think there's a chance that Javante gets steam more than anybody in this game. So if that does happen, all of the pass catchers are leveraged off of Javante. And then if you want, one thing I like to do is run our collective four for four player pool, me, you, uh, Tim Talmadge, then other, any other players that, that Mike Waller or, uh, or, or Pat James throws in and just run like a four for four optimal with that player pool. Jerry Judy shows up in in our top 150 lineups, both FanDuel and DraftKings. He shows up in a third of optimal lineups uh, with our player pools combined. So that is encouraging on Judy there. I already talked about Wilson, as you mentioned. I agree. And just the fact that KJ Hamler's out, I think it makes a tremendous argument to tack on Russell Wilson at 2 3% to these wide receivers, whichever way you go. We just know we're guessing in order, like you said, the ones getting dragged along will be Javante Williams, Alberto, and then the receivers, the two being the less roster, which makes them so interesting together. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to go back to one of the popular games, the game we let off with, but at a different position at tight end. Um, who are you like in, in this late window? There are, I'm not going to say a lot of good tight ends, but there are a lot of tight end options. So like the stone men, Jawan Johnson, there's reasons to get off him. And there's reasons to get off of uh, like Mark Andrews and other median options. But overall, I like Tyler Higby. If you can't get to Daryl Henderson, or if you want to fade Daryl Henderson for the reasons we discussed, if you can't get up to Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, for all the reasons I mentioned at the beginning of the show, a route on 93% of dropbacks. And it makes sense. That's not a fluke. Van Jefferson out again this week. Plus, remember, in year one last year of Higby's career without Gerald Everett, he ran a career high. 90% route rate on Stafford's drop back. So it makes sense that he's just out there as an every down player. And then not only see the 11 targets, I mean, insanity, that target share second highest on the team behind Cooper cup. So yeah, Higby's an amazing option and he's priced enough where he actually should be priced higher. And he's in a weird range that I don't think people are going to play him anyhow, even though he's good touchdown leverage. So yeah, I, I think he's a, a great player. If you think you want to go that route. I haven't projected 
pretty high on ownership. Oh, it interesting. Okay, just, I, I didn't. So okay. It, it, it well, but it might be a week where like I have him as in the in the top range of ownership, the fifteen to twenty percent range. But if he comes in at his floor, it just could be a situation where we don't have a mega chalk tight end. Like I don't think anybody's going to sniff twenty percent. Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts like might draw some ownership on Fanduel on DraftKings. Um, I have Hawkinson up there with maybe Waller and definitely Albert O on DraftKings. So it could be a situation on DK where we just get like five guys in like the 13 to 14% range. And then everybody else just kind of fills out the, the rest of the ownership. Again, if Daryl Henderson ends up being like 25%, the and, and you want to play Higby, even if he is the most popular play, the combo of like, a Stafford Cup Higby that that product ownership is going to be low enough where it's okay if he's the most popular tight end. I think. I I was definitely projecting him for lower, but that makes sense. Now the player you're going to talk about, I definitely am projecting for lower. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zach Ertz at 5200 Fanduel, 4500 DraftKings against the Raiders will uh, come in against all, all of the guys that I mentioned, who I, I think will be a lot more popular. And again, tight end isn't getting flexed as much. So there's less ownership to go around at tight end. So these guys like Ertz who fall into this second tier, they could come, they could come in at, at 6% pretty damn easily just because there isn't as much ownership to go around at the position. Uh, but this is the only game with an over under above 50 on the main slate. Ertz's numbers are a little skewed last week. He was, we, we didn't know if he was going to play, coming in a week one was dealing with some injuries ended up playing only played 60% of the snaps, probably a combination of him getting eased into the season. And then they were just getting smoked. So they were just like, let's get these starters out of here, which they did. I'm assuming his snap rate will be a lot closer to 80, maybe even 90% this week. If we look at how the chargers attacked the Raiders in week one, it was relentlessly in the middle of the field, a lot out of the slot, but they threw to the perimeter at the lowest rate of any offense in week one. I I'm hoping that carries over to a trend of how you can attack the Raiders. You mentioned the Raiders pass rush. So getting the ball out quickly in the middle of the field does make some intuitive sense. We saw Cliff Kingsbury against the chiefs in week one, really focus on that middle of the field. A lot of that ended up going to Greg Dortch, but Zachert should fit into that attack the middle of the field game plan. If we combine that offensive game plan from the Cardinals with the way the Chargers attack the Raiders. I, I think there is a really nice cocktail of Dorch and Ertz both balling against the Raiders this week. And Dorch is, well, he's so cheap on DraftKings. That's why he's worth playing, but also to lead the team in targets and even more opportunity really this week since Andy Isabella played 21 snaps and Andy Isabella was ruled out this week along with mm -hmm. Rondell Moore. So that's the reason yeah, why. Yeah, Moore was but, ruled out today. We should note that. Yeah, but the but the fact that Ertz, even in being injured, was still, as you mentioned, running 29 routes, right? And um, the next closest on the team was Steven Anderson with three. Like we expect that role to grow if this game is at all competitive. Uh, that game in week one for the Cardinals, it was – a uh, 23 point lead, I believe it was in the third quarter. Like they couldn't play their starters anymore after that. So uh, even a two score lead, if the Cardinals fall behind James Conner, Zach Ertz, they will be out there even more. So there's a lot of room for the Cardinals players opportunity to grow. Yeah. Um, I should have mentioned you be, when you were done talking about Tyler Higby, especially on DraftKings, he's probably my lock cash um, tight end. If any player, uh, sal uh, not salary ownership gets really juiced up on Sunday, I, I think it might up end up being Dorch, especially on DraftKings. Like the more I think about it, with people are, articles and, and content starts coming out Friday and then through Saturday, I think a lot of people are going to be saying Dorch. It's going to be especially if people are playing Devontae, It's going to be hard to run back Marquise Brown. I think, and people love a punt play on DraftKings. I think Dorch could like come in at like 15% by the time kickoff happens. And if that happens, really? like that just now, maybe I, I'm gonna have to look at it, but, but I, I, I have a feeling that that name's going to catch some steam. And if that happens, like it just makes Ertz that much of a better play. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if that can still get me off Dorch, uh, considering like that we really don't have any other values in my opinion, under like 40, under five K really on that site. But, but I'm still toying around with it.
luckily it's not start. Luckily the week didn't start with Dorch talk. If he would have, if we would have been looking at like 30% Dorch, that would have been um, not exciting, but I could still deal with a 15% Dorch. Uh, let's fire off these defenses real quick. You'll start with the, uh, the not obvious play. And there are so, so many this week. That's why you don't play the Bengals. So many good cheap <laughs> ones, so many good median ones. Like I think paying up for the Raiders and giants is also pretty good, but, uh, but yes, I like the Dolphins just because we saw what they're going to do. Lamar Jackson, historically bad against the Blitz. We already talked about it, and they sent it on 60% of his dropbacks last year when they played. Now, maybe it doesn't work out because also last year when they played the Ravens, remember, it was a short turnaround on Thursday night, and the Sunday before, they the Ravens ran 100 offensive plays. So they had the short turnaround mixed with the Blitz, mixed with 100 plays. Like It wasn't a combination that was ever going to be good for survivor pools on Thursday night. That's why the Dolphins were uh, – that's why everyone, well, should have avoided the Ravens. Some didn't. But – Overall, yeah, I think if you want to pay down, the Dolphins are just fine. They're also 100 more than the Bengals, so no one's looking at them. Um, this is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, I have to mention the Bengals just to do the the listeners' sure. service. I, I knew there are. I know there are a lot of people that uh, that list to this last minute want to fire up some cash game lineups. If you're playing cash, especially on DraftKings, I mean, a team favored by 10 at sub 4K on FanDuel at 2200 on DraftKings. Just play them like it's fine in cash. You know, we're not we don't need um, to be perfect. The, the reason we don't play the highest own, they could approach 40 percent on DraftKings because they're so cheap uh, at 3,900 on FanDuel. Some people will figure out ways to get away from them. But just a team that's favored by 10. Go ahead. Just remember what we said at the beginning of the show, like people won tournaments by playing chalk and then 0.3 percent Steelers defense like the defense matters a lot. Do not chase the 30 percent. Yeah, and and you can look at pretty much any data point, whether it be on four for four or otherwise, that shows pretty decisively that ownership, salary projections, basically any metric you look at, does not correlate with defense performance. In tournaments where really you hope your defense scores a touchdown, like they could win by ten, they could do exactly what they're supposed to do. If they don't score a touchdown, they're probably not winning you a tournament unless they get like nine or ten sacks um, playing against backup Cooper Rush. But Rush actually had a good game in his one start last year. But got to mention the Bengals if you're playing cash games, just just throw them in, especially on DK. And, and remember, they're only at twenty two hundred because. Cowboys played on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Salaries came out before Sunday yeah. night. Otherwise, yeah. I think they'd be 2,800, 3K. Oh, like yeah, they, they'd be well over 3K yeah. on, on DraftKings. Um, any last thoughts before we get out of here? That's about it. Uh, look for yeah. the DFS article to be updated by Saturday morning for sure for yeah. everyone. And then Sunday morning Discord, like last week, we kind of gather our thoughts over the weekend and then get, get down with everyone for about an hour discussing overarching game theory and some late pivots we can talk about. There's some pretty important injuries and news to be aware of that we'll get news on overnight Saturday. So Sunday morning, Discord, 1045 a.m. Eastern, that's the place to be. Yeah, make sure you are a 4 for 4 DFS or betting sub to access that. It leads right into our betting show with uh, with Noonan and Connor Allen. So uh, we, we make sure you guys have time to hop over there. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, definitely do that so you can get into the Discord. If you are enjoying watching this on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. It helps a ton. And if you really, really want to support us and are listening to the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. And you can get more of what we have to say on our Twitters. Daigle is at NotJDaigle. I'm at TJ Hernandez444. As always, is at 444Football. We will talk to you guys on Sunday morning.